It's usually at this time I dismiss the kids, but today we have the children with us. Isn't that a good thing? That's a wonderful thing, especially when the preacher forgets to prepare accordingly. You know it's going to be a barn burner today. So uh, nonetheless, we're glad you're here. It'll be an opportunity for all of us to exercise patience with one another. Amen? Glad to see each of you all here today. It's good to be back here in the pulpit and in this book of Ecclesiastes. What do you think? Ecclesiastes. Mixed bag. It's a hard book, isn't it? we just be honest about that? I was following along, uh, mostly listening to Covenant sermons, so I didn't get all wrapped up in this world while I was away on sabbatical. And the whole time I was like, how am I going to preach in this book? Right? It's, it's a hard book. Uh, and yet at the same time, uh, as there's a lot of questions and mysteries and frustrations and the vanity, 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 there is this thread of hope and grace in the book, isn't there? It's a hard book, but it's a hopeful book. It's a hopeful book. And in some ways, as we approach the passage this morning in chapter 9, so if you want to grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12. In some ways, as we engage this passage, there's some difficulties here, but there's a lot of hope. I think in some ways, we're going to see the difficulties because we're going to face two uncomfortable truths from the preacher. We're going to have to be face-to-face with two very uncomfortable truths. And then as we hear this, we're going to, as we engage these truths, be instructed by the preacher how we should respond to that. Because of these truths, how do we respond? And the response he calls us to might surprise you, might surprise you. But let's turn our attention. Uh, Alicia Rowe is going to come forward and read for us from Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Our passage this morning comes from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and to the unclean to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that, know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. 
and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in prayer as we go before the Lord and ask his blessing this morning. Father, we come to you and we ask that your spirit would fill us, open our eyes, open our ears to see and hear. Nourish us and feed us with your word. We need you, Lord. In Christ's name, everyone said, amen, amen. A little girl was born in Macedonia, August 26, 1910. Sweet girl. And uh, at the age of 18, uh, based on her devotion to her faith, she became a Catholic nun. She went to Ireland for a while and then made her way to India. It was in India that she gave her life to serving those among some of the poorest people in the world. Many of those suffered from HIV and AIDS. So much tangible, visible love was expressed in her life. The world saw it with their eyes. And in 1979, this sweet nun was given the Nobel Peace Prize. She lived 87 years, long life, but in the end, on September 5th, 1997, she died. Does anyone know who this is? I think I heard it. Mother Teresa. Someone could have been a little bit more confident, you know. <laughs> Mother Teresa. Appreciate the sweetness of tone there. Another time, another place, a young boy was born. He was born to a Yemeni man in Saudi Arabia. He had a large construction business, and at the, uh, at the death of his father, inherited $30 million. Very hardworking kid. Very hardworking, very devoted in his faith. He loved to read the Quran. He was on the leading edge of starting a militant group called Al-Qaeda in the late 80s. And they were responsible for many bombings and attacks in the world. And in 2001, as uh, the two towers fell in New York City, uh, many understood him to be the architect behind 
such an attack that led to the death of thousands of innocent people. And yet, 10 years later, May 2nd, 2011, he died. Does anybody know who that man is? Osama bin Laden. Mother Teresa. Osama bin Laden. Two very different lives. And in the end, the same result. They both died. The preacher considers this reality and he expounds. Look at one through six. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. Look at what he says. It is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice, as the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. Verse 3, he concludes, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That the, there it is again, the same event happens to all. Douglas O'Donnell concludes by saying this, morality is no protection against mortality. Here's the first uncomfortable truth that the preacher brings to us this morning. You can't avoid death, no matter who you are. You can't avoid death, no matter who you are. And he concludes, the righteous and the wicked, the same event happens to all. This is an evil that happens under the sun. And yet, he goes on to tell us why that is true. He says, also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. It's in that moment where he continues to reflect. He knows his Bible. He understands that there's none righteous, not even one, and that death is a consequence for sin. Remember, we're living in Genesis 4, right? He's reflecting on Genesis 3, the fall. The promise that if you eat of this, you will surely die. Death comes to all because all have sinned. All have fallen into depravity. All die because of the sinful evil and madness in their heart. This is a just consequence for our sin. And so again, because of the sin and madness of our hearts, no matter who we are, we can't avoid death. No matter who you are, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you work at it, guess what? You cannot avoid death because of the evil that's in, within every human heart. And as horrible as a reality as that is, the preacher doesn't leave us hopeless. Someone say amen. Right? Look at verse 4, 4 to 6. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. 
for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Death is horrible. But he who is identified with the living, joined with the living, he has hope. He has hope. It's an interesting proverb embedded there, right? A, a living dog is better than a dead lion. What does that mean? Well, a dog was understood to be the most despised and reviled creature in this time. A lot of people like dogs up in here, right? They didn't like dogs back then, right? But the lion, the lion was respected. The lion was revered, the lion. But the preacher says, a living dog is better than a dead lion. What's he saying? It's better to be alive than dead. It's better to be alive than to be dead. Why? Because when you're dead, there's no more hope for meaning, for joy in this life if you're dead. Right? He goes on to say, for the living know they'll die, but the dead know nothing. The dead don't know anything. They have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. If you're dead, you have no share in this life. It's over. There's no more hope for joy and meaning in this life. Because it's gone. But if you're alive, it's better. It's better, and it's still hopeful for you. So think about that for a minute. As excruciating and difficult as life can be, we're still alive. God continues to sustain us in his grace. We're still alive. And to be alive is better than to be dead, according to the preacher. Life as difficult as it can be, is still a gift to be received with joy. It's a precious gift from God. So the preacher helps us consider the first uncomfortable truth. You cannot avoid death no matter who you are. And then if you look at verses 11 and 12, it gives us the other truth. Let's look at it together. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Logic and experience tell us this, right? Fast people win races. I would never beat Usain Bolt in a race. He's much faster than me. Fast people. And plus, I got really bad feet now. Right, Ron? You know. Right? I'm not going to win. Fast people win races. Strong people win fights. I'm not going after Hafthor Bjornsson. Hafthor Bjornsson. Anyone with the name Hafthor, you just don't want to fight. Okay? <laughs> I mean, full Thor would be one thing, but Hafthor, that's still way beyond my capacity, you know? And, you know, I got a loud bark, but if you come at me, I kind of cower in the corner and suck my thumb. I'm not really a huge fighter, Okay? All right, I'm all words, I'm no, I'm no brawn, okay? 
Okay, so strong people in fights, wise people eat well, right? You can see I am a wise man. Anyway, wise people eat well. Intelligent people know how to make money. It requires a certain kind of intelligence, an entrepreneurial aptitude to make money. And he says knowledgeable people generally find favor in circumstances. This is just simple, typical life expectancy, right? That's what we would expect, those things. But the preacher observes the exact opposite. He says, things happen in a way that, typically, that we would never expect. We would expect certain things, right? And he says, time and chance happen to them all. The unexpected, it just comes upon them. Man does not know his time. We assume what our life expectancy is, right? 78, 79, everyone's like, oh, life expectancy going up. All the Gen Zers are like, we're going to be like 110, right? We're going to be 110 years old. Make assumptions about life. We make predictions, technology, innovation. We think we've got it all figured out. We think we can reverse and manage every single outcome to give us the best possible result always. He's saying, man does not know his time. When he will die, death suddenly comes upon us. Death is unavoidable, but the second uncomfortable truth is you can't predict life no matter how hard you try. So hear that. You can't avoid death no matter who you are. You can't predict life no matter how hard we try. I remember when my, grandf- when my grandmother passed a couple years back. It was such a horrible thing to watch her die, and yet we expected her to. She was suffering. And I remember as she passed, I began to have some peace and solace in the idea that, you know what, my grandfather's still alive, and we're going to get so much time with him. We expect that at least one, two, maybe three years of just enjoying him and having him integrated into our family. It was post-pandemic. You know, in some ways it was like he loved her and cared for her to the end. But man, now we're going to get some time with Big Walt. And you guys know the story. You know Big Walt. He was a member of this church. We saw him unexpectedly, suddenly just fall apart at the seams right away mentally. And by the, by, in, after three months of, his, of my grandmother's passing, he was in uh, like... Um, a dementia care facility. Three months later, he didn't know anything in terms of reality. And three months after that, he passed. Suddenly, life came at him. Life came at us, and he died unexpectedly. Again, old guy, nonetheless, died unexpectedly. I'll never forget as well, uh, Maggie Stinziano, 2009, when she passed. She was the mother of four we found out uh, uh, through Jordan, uh, the pastor at Missio, that she had uh, a breast cancer while she was pregnant with her fourth child. She was in her mid to late 30s. And who would have thought this wonderful, beautiful family of, of six, who would have thought that on July 5th, 2009, that she would go home and be with her Savior, Jesus Christ? You never know. You make assumptions. You figured it all out. You're making plans. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord guides his steps. You can't avoid death no matter who you are, and you can't predict life no matter how hard you try. Those are the two uncomfortable truths that the preacher puts before us today. 
And so we ask the question, how are we to respond to that? Well, let me ask you, how does that make you feel? You can't avoid death. You can't predict life. How does that make you feel? What's that make you want to do? I can tell you my natural human response, panic, fear, despair. There's a hopelessness. Or actually, the other side of me, how do I respond to panic? You think, I can't manage everything. I can't predict everything. I will do everything in my power to reverse that trend. You know, my physical therapist, because I had like upper and, and, and lower tendonitis in, in uh, tennis elbow. You ever heard of tennis elbow? Guys, I don't play tennis, okay? But for some reason, I got a tendonitis in both of my arms. And he's like, bro, do you ever turn off? I'm like, well, I, I sleep. He's like, I, I don't think you turn off when you sleep. I think you, you come together like this. Like, the reason you got muscle issues because you're a triple A battery. Like, you never stop. You got to chill out, bro, right? And so some of us, when we hear, like, we can't avoid this and we can't predict that, we can go into, like, type A personality overdrive. Some of us might be thinking that. I got I to gotta go on the paleo diet. I got to exercise, right? I got to eat organic food only, right? I got to get my life under control. But he's saying something completely different to us. What does the preacher say? And I'm going to give it to you right now. Because of the unavoidable nature of death and the unpredictable nature of life, we're told this, enjoy all you have entrusting yourself to the God who gave it. Just hear that for a minute. Let that, let that sit in and marinate. Enjoy the life you have. Entrust yourself to the one who gave it. What a surprise. What a surprise. The main command is in verse 9. Most people understand. Enjoy life. Enjoy it. What you have. God's given it. It's the sixth time in the book of Ecclesiastes that the preacher has commanded his readers to enjoy life. Enjoy what you have under the sun. In the face of all the frustrations, questions, confusion, and all the mysteries and all the vanity, enjoy the life that God has given you under the sun. Let me say it this way. God is commanding joy in life. You know, we can often think about Christianity as like a religion of misery. Just a bunch of rules, right? There was a guy at Cafe Kubal years back. Every time I go get coffee, I'd say, hey, I want to buy beans. He'd say, no. I'm like, I don't get it. It's a coffee shop. I don't go to Maisie's Meats, ask for beef, and they never say, we don't have any. I go to Kubal, can I have some beans? And he'd say, no, it's not available right now. And I, over time, began to call him no face. Every time I go in and he's working and I need something, he just says, no. It's like programmed, No. No face. Sometimes we think of God that way, right? He's just no face. Like uh, that the Bible is just a list of rules. No, no, no. But we see the kind of God that we have a God that is infinitely full of joy in and of himself and desires his people to live in joy. 
He's commanding joy. Believe me, he's providing joy and he's commanding it. We understand this, right? That that the command to enjoy life is never a license for sin or to disobey, amen? No, no, of course, we're in covenant relationship with God. There's, There's stipulations, like we have to obey, there's commands. But we have to understand that in the confines of love and obedience, we're commanded to enjoy the life that God has given us. God wants you to enjoy the life he has for you. I think that's a sweet thing to think about. But more specifically, he wants you to enjoy the provision and portion he's given you. Verse seven, go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy. Enjoy your bread, your food, your wine. Enjoy your homes. Enjoy your clothing. Enjoy your possessions. Enjoy the provision that God has entrusted to you in his sovereignty. Enjoy it. Let your garments always be white and let not oil be lacking on your head. White garments and oil on the head were symbols of how you would dress for a joyous occasion. He's saying life is a joyous occasion. So dress for it. Dress for it. Not only his provision, but the people and loving relationships he's given you. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he's given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at, at which you toil under the sun. So husbands, enjoy your wives. Wives, enjoy your husbands. Mothers and fathers, enjoy your children. Here's one for you, children. Enjoy your parents. Okay, that might be a little far. I understand. Enjoy your parents. Men and women, enjoy each other's company. Be friends. Hang out. Spend time. Laugh together. Brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, enjoy each other in covenant fellowship. Enjoy each other in worship. Enjoy each other in small group. Laugh together. Enjoy. It's good. People. Loving relationships. Such precious gifts that God has entrusted to us to bring us joy in this life. And then he goes on, verse 10, enjoy the work he's given you to do. Enjoy your job. Oof. Enjoy your job. He's given it to you. It's a gift. Engineering, enjoy it. Nursing, computer programming, videography, sales and marketing teaching. Students, enjoy your studies. And last but not least, mothers who stay home, enjoy the hard and good work of mothering. It is a good work, a meaningful work. It is a godly vocation. It is blessed by him. And so the preacher says, enjoy the work that he's given us. Do it with all your might. Approach it with passion and energy and vitality and with intention. Enjoy. Enjoy the life God has given to you. Entrust yourself to the one who gave it. That's a huge part of this. I think there's a relationship between 
enjoyment and entrusting. There's a relationship there. To the degree that we're able to entrust ourselves to God is the degree that we're able to enjoy the life that we have. It's a call to joy and contentment and thanksgiving, but surely this is a call to entrust yourself to the God who gave you the life you have. So as you enjoy the life you have, entrust yourself to God's providential care and gracious approval. There's a few phrases in here that everything is kind of couched in that I don't want you to miss, and I'll try to wrap up as quickly as I can. In the midst of all these uncomfortable truths, in the midst of this call to enjoy, there is this, there is this uh, 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 couching of some wonderful, reassuring truths. Look at verse 1. The righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Don't miss that. You And your life, as you entrust yourself to God, are in his hands. Talk about a basis for joy today. Your life is in God's hands. It's at his disposal. As one who knows him and trusts him, you are under his care and supervision at all times. Your life and your deeds are in his hands. To be in God's hands means this, that at the very least, that you and your life are within his care. He loves you. God cares for you. You're in his hand. You are at his disposal and for his use. You're under his control. You're in his hand. And as Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Amen? Talk about a basis for joy. We trust him. And we live under his providential care. I love this Note that John Newton said to Ryland, he says this about life. He says, we're passengers in a ship. And I forgot to put it on the screen, I apologize. We are passengers in a ship in which the Lord's cause and faithfulness are embarked with us. And therefore, we need not fear sinking. As you think about the inevitability of death and the unpredictable nature of life, and you're prone to fear, hear that word. Because of the faithfulness And the cause of God, we need not fear sinking. We are under his providential care at all times. Amen? He says the infallible pilot will guide us safely through the storm. Do you believe that today? The infallible pilot will guide you through the storm. You're under his care. Not only do you entrust yourself to God's providential care, but we call you to entrust yourself to God's gracious approval. Look at verse 7. Go eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Some of us, that just shocks us. That God already approves of us and what we do. 
Talk about a basis for joy in life. Take away all those temporal pleasures, all the relationships, all the possessions. Take away all those things. But if we have the approval of God, and some of us are constantly chasing human approval, just like me, like my post, value me, affirm me, This is so much more significant than the fleeting approval of humans that can never satisfy the craving of the human soul, that can never provide the basis for joy that only God's approval can give to us. He says, live, enjoy your life because you're already approved by God. You're in relationship with him. And we come to know that the source of his approval is not our works, it's not our achievements, amen? His approval of us has always been a gracious gift. I don't care what testament you're in. It's always been a gracious gift. The overflow of his electing love for those whom he has chosen to call his own. Receive his approval. And we know the fountainhead where all of that approval comes from, from which we drink, and that is his son, Jesus Christ. It is in Christ Jesus, by faith in him, that we receive and live in eternally his approval. We are justified by faith, and we now have peace with God, amen? So embrace Christ Jesus and trust yourself to him, the very basis of our approval. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you know him by faith, you trust him by faith, you have no condemnation, you are under God's full approval, nothing can take that away from you, never receive that. And it becomes a basis for joy. It's all his care, his approval, fully and forever ours in the person of Jesus Christ. Trust in him today. Trust in him again. Trust in him more by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the center and the source of all of God's temporal and eternal blessings. It's all because of Jesus. So trust in him. Jesus is God's approval for us. He is the one who endured and conquered death for us that we might be saved from the consequences of our sin. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. In him we have a shepherd who constantly cares for us, who is always leading us and guiding us. The Lord is our shepherd. We have everything that we need for joy. Amen. The Lord is my portion. He is the strength of my heart. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth I desire beside you. And we know that is finally and fully Jesus. So see him. Trust in him. Find meaning. Seek joy from his hand. Matter of fact, he is our joy. He is our hope in this life under the sun and the next. So enjoy your life. Enjoy the life he's given you. Entrust yourself to Jesus. He is the center and the source of his, God's gracious care, approval, and his providence. Isn't that wonderful news this morning? 
you're here today and you've never heard that before, please hear the good news about Jesus. If you're here today and you're wrestling for joy, receive joy in Jesus and then obey the command to enjoy the life that God has given you. If you say, listen, I don't have a lot of those things you talk about. I feel like God has given me nothing in this life. But listen, he's given you his son, Jesus. He's given you everything in him. There is no lack in a basis for you to embrace him by faith and enjoy all that he has given you. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. And if you're here today and you're taking inventory of all the earthly temporal blessings that you enjoy from the, from the car to the boat to the house to the pool to the vacations to the this, the that, and the other thing, don't for one minute think that those are ultimate sources of joy. Those can easily become idols, gifts that God gives us to enjoy that we use to serve our own pleasures and purposes and outside of God's will and commands it can become God's in and of themselves and they will destroy us. So please, share what God has given you with others. You know, you can't really enjoy something if you don't share it. If you hoard it and you keep it for yourself, you are cutting yourself short from the joy that God has from you, from the, from the totality of experience, the happiness and the joy. So if God's giving you a lot, share it. Bring people into that experience. Be generous, right? Isn't that what 1 Timothy 6 says? Charge the rich in the present age to not set their hope on riches, but on the living God, amen, who provides us what? Everything to enjoy. Enjoy, but share. Let's not set our hope on these temporal blessings. Let's set our hope on God. Let's entrust ourselves to him. Someone say amen, and someone say, bro, it's Kids Family Sunday. All right, let's pray. (laughs) Father God, we thank you so much for this word. We thank you for Jesus, the center and source of all your blessing. I pray that if there's anybody here today that has never believed in him, that they would see him for all that he is, the source of your love and approval and care. And they would run into his arms and find hope and peace and rest. I pray that if there's anybody here today that's struggling with anxiety and fear, a lack of peace and even micromanaging, trying to predict and uh, control every outcome in their life, I pray that you would cause them to turn away from those things and run into your arms for safety, for love, and approval. Cause us to turn from our sin of selfishness and to share with others. You are our rock, our place of safety. You are our approval and our joy. You are our hope. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.